This is Pivot Perspectives with Chris O'Byrne, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on their road to success and get exclusive access on how to implement their success into your life and business. Pivot Perspectives is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Chris O'Byrne. So welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here today. Um, why don't we just drop, you know, just jump right in and let me start asking you some questions. Uh, got a lot of, uh, looking for a lot of kind of background and, uh, stories and everything that you can share about, you know, kind of how you got to where you are now and then, you know, like where things are going. Uh, so let's start with your childhood. What was that like? And, and how did you get into football? Oh, well, thank you for having me, Mr. Chris. And uh, I'm super excited to be a part of the show. Uh, I got started in the football. You can say I got started. Um, football was introduced to me in the womb. <laughs> My dad was a football player uh, when I was been, when I was born in 1993. He was on the tail end of his career. He was still striving to make it to the NFL, playing semi-pro ball. So when I came out the womb, I was already going into games, going into practices, going in the locker room. So you can say I was born in the football. Um, I still remember going um, going out to the games, into the locker room, just smelling the smell. And um, that's one of the things that I still do today. I put on his helmet, my own helmets, and just that smell of the equipment, man, it, it's just phenomenal. Um, so that's how I got started. Started playing football, actually contact football when I was five years old in South Dallas at the St. Philip Saints. And I started playing ever since. And one of the things about me, um, in my childhood, we're growing up. That's different from a lot of the kids nowadays. Is that I didn't play sports just for fun. Um, that wasn't that wasn't a thing in my household. We played sports to win, and I was taught and embedded to. And whatever you do, you don't quit. Whatever you do, you give one hundred and ten percent, and you always look and find out a way to win. And that's what that was embedded into me. It was beat into me. It was. Um, put into me, and that is what I carried um, all along across my career. And it truly, man, ever since embedding that at five years old, if you started, you don't quit. Man, that truly helped me out when I got into college and faced a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different life challenges um, that I could have walked out on. And some people probably would have justified it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So when you were in high school, are there any you know, moments that stand out in the games that you played? Oh, yes, yes. All the way up growing um, growing up from what playing football and pop wanted to transition in middle school and then transitioning into high school. I went uh, I was always a part of great, great teams. My dad never put me on a team that was um, on less performance. He always wanted me to play around high caliber players so that I can sharpen my tools. And that was one of the great things um, is that principal iron sharpening iron. He always embedded that into me. Um, and he taught me at a young age, you never stray away from competition. You never wait. You never stray away from somebody that you may think is better than you. They put their pants on the same way you do one leg at a time. And you line up across uh, across against you some head face and one of y'all are gonna fold and it better not be you and so man I remember I'm um, in high school when I started playing varsity my junior year I started getting recruited really fast um, I started having offers coming in as a junior and um, at that time I was you know I was pretty high-headed I'll tell you I was high on my horse I was getting recruited I was playing DN which I'm an undersized DN but my team was so good so I had to be able to fit um, fit in where I could play. And so um, learning how to play that I had great coach, Coach Terrell Robinson, God rest his soul. He played Texas, and that was my position, Coach. And Coach Rob used to tell me all the time, Mike, we're going to work, bring your lunch pail. And he's and we used to always bring our lunch pail when we came to the when we came to the football field. And one of the key things that Coach Rob taught me, my dad taught me, and all my coaches um, taught me was, and I hate to, I hate to refer to animalistic ways, but this is the best way that I know how to be able to, to explain it is being able to adapt that dog mentality. And one of the things that our coach Todd, coach, shout out to coach Todd, Jason Todd, they just won state, the state championship two years in a row. 
at South Oak Cliff High School. So my defensive coordinator, Coach Todd, Coach Samples, who just won state at Duncanville. So we come from great coaches, as you can see. But uh, one of the things that they always instilled in us is, Mike, you got to have a dog mentality, but you can't be a dumb dog. Like, a dumb dog, they just chase, they just bark out the cars, chase them down, and they get to the car, they run home. No, a smart dog is smart about how he gets out the things, and he's focused. He's laser-focused on what he wants to go into. So I definitely have to tell you, man, going into, um, going into my senior year, I had committed to the University of Minnesota my junior year to Mr. Tim Brewster, Coach Tim Brewster. Shout out to Coach Tim. Um, wanted to go down to the University of Minnesota where you were about to go live, <laughs> Mr. Chris, because I visited in the summertime, of course, never went into the cold. And it was 80 degrees. You're right there by the Mississippi River. Didn't even know the Mississippi River ran, ran up that far. And it was a beautiful campus. Now, at that time, Minnesota University had just transitioned out into an outdoor facility. From you guys indoor facility so walked the field looked at the looked at the um, school campus and i was like hey this is it like this is where i will come to school i had like five other players that i played with in high school that was already at the university of minnesota they were doing great things they were expecting me to come in and start right away and me being a linebacker so this is the backstory and my football people would really love this as you know when you're going to, when you're choosing your school and you have to be able to choose a school based off of the position that you play and if you'll be able to see the field. A lot of people look at it from a standpoint. So the Big Ten at the time, that was smash mouth football. If you're a linebacker playing in the Big Ten, you have a great chance of making it to the NFL because you're seeing nothing but run and they're not passing the ball like they used to. Nowadays, it's hard to be able to tell different uh, conferences from the player style that they used to. But back in the day, when I was playing in 2000, when I was playing, which is not that long, I'm only four years out of the game. But during that time, you had the Big Ten that you was known for smashing, smash mouth football. You had the Big 12. They was used to a little bit of smashing mouth, but they was going to the shotgun the spread and run, the 15-second shot. Uh, you only have 15 seconds to get ready for a play compared to when you're going into the, the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, you got at least 24, 25 seconds to get ready in between each play. So it's just a different style of ball of game. And so uh, I would love the Big Ten. I love Coach Brewster. I love the University of Minnesota. And I committed. Coach, unfortunately, my senior year, Coach Brewster lost his job. He got fired. And this is, a, this is important for parents and athletes to understand. Um, my coach got fired my senior year. And my coaches at high school, uh, my college coaches got fired where I was committed. And my coaches were telling me, hey, you need to decommit. You need to look at these other schools. But one of the things that my mom taught me and sat me down, my mom and dad, she said, son, when you pick a school, it's like picking a wife. You're always, always going to be a better school out there. Um, it's always going to be a school that looks better, always be a school that may have different fields. But when you make that commitment, that's where you commit to and that's where you stay. We don't quit where we start, right? And so I sat down and I said, okay, I love the University of Minnesota. I'm going to stay at the University of Minnesota. We playing ball in the Big Ten, baby. Let's go. A week before signing day, Mr. Chris, Jerry Kill got the job. And Jerry Kill, my linebacker coach, called me and said, hey, we just uh, want to introduce myself. Uh, we're the new staff on. Uh, Jerry Kill's going to be giving you a call. Can't wait to have you. Jerry Kill gives me a call and tells me, well, he doesn't want me, basically. Hey, I don't want you. <laughs> I pulled your scholarship. You don't have a scholarship. You got to find somewhere else to go. And Chris, this is a week before signing day. And so I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, what, what do we do? So one of the things that it comes to scholarships, and if you have so many scholarships, if you don't commit to that school or take that scholarship when the school offers it to you, they have four or five other individuals that they offer that same scholarship to. And whoever commits first gets that scholarship. So, Chris, literally, I had over 20 scholarship offers to D1 schools. Texas top 100 player. A week before signing day, I had three schools that were interested in me. 
um, that was only interested in me. I had Kansas State University, which Kansas State University was one of my first offers. I went down there when I was a junior on a junior visit. I met Bill Snyder. I seen the school and I said, man, I am not coming here. Like Manhattan, Kansas can miss me. I actually, a quick story. Uh, I actually fell asleep when we had our team meeting with Coach Snyder. Man, I fell asleep and he kicked me out. So, of course, I said, man, this is not the school for me. But it's crazy how God worked it out. So, I get back to the drawing board. We have three schools on the table. We have Kansas State University. We have the University of Miami. And we have Texas Tech University. So, Texas Tech and the University of Miami came down. And they said, hey, we want you. You've been on our radar, but we didn't offer you a scholarship because you were still committed to the University of Minnesota. We have a scholarship for you, but we have to wait and see what these other players do on signing day. And we'll sign you a week after signing day. And so it was basically a waiting game. So Kansas State, they had a scholarship for me, but it was a gray shirt scholarship. Now, that is different from your traditional scholarship because the gray shirt scholarship now puts you on their year after scholarship list and so basically what a gray shirt is is they sign you you sign you graduate but you don't go into school you go down for the summer for the workouts but that first semester you're not in school um they're not paying for your school either you go to a community college or you stay on campus and you pay for it yourself but you can't take a full caseload so you got to take under 12 hours and everything is on you. So it was like, Mike, either you take a gray shirt, which Kansas State wants you, they love you, they've been, they've been one of the first schools, or you sit here and wait to see what Texas Tech in Miami does. Um, and you're pretty much in the waiting game. So I sat down with my family, we prayed about it. I had um two great coaches that was down there pushing me on. Um, and um, Coach Mike Smitty was my recruiting coordinator, and um Coach Joe. He's the he's the athletic director down here at Arlington Seguin. Both of them were my coaches and they my recruiting coaches and they were like, Mike, Kansas State is the place for you. So instead of waiting till after signing day, I signed to Kansas State. And I tell you, Chris, that is the one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Because if I wouldn't have went to Kansas State University, I truly don't know if I would have made it to the NFL. If I would have the work mentality and having the coach, I think the reason why I was running from the coach, uh, Coach Bill Snyder, is because I knew he would hold me accountable. I knew it, he didn't care about the bells and whistles and everything I was able to do on the field. No, he was down there to raising great men. And I don't um, – if you remember back within that 2012 all the way to 2017 football era, we had, you had college coaches that were on the fence of, hey, do you have a granddad college coach or do you have a player's coach to, you know, these players um, from a Cliff Kingsbury standpoint? So Bill Snyder, they used to ask this question all the time. Would you rather play for Cliff's, Cliff Kingsbury down at Texas Tech University or would you rather come and play with, for Coach Bill Snyder at Kansas State University? Which is not a player's coach. It's his way or the highway. But Cliff Kingsbury's way, it's the players' way. Well, I mean, I never played for him, so it's, it, what it seems like is that the players have a little bit more range is what I'm getting to. Long and wide open. Um, growing, coming from an inner city school, um, I never had any white coaches. And that was a big culture shock for me when I went into school. Um, when I – what I had – I can count on my hand. I had two white coaches – Growing up, before I went to college, and the way that they interacted with us was not the same how they interacted with us in college. So when you go into college, they're there to break you, period. They're there to bring this young guy in. We're going to break him. We're going to mold him into the best player he can be, but he's going to do things our way. Well, my coaching style growing up, um, it was that way, but they taught us and they instilled in us, especially my dad, Mike, you're a man at the end of the day. And ain't no man going to punk you. Uh, and I'm trying to make sure, because I, I know kids going to watch this, so I want to make sure I'm being correct <laughs> with my language. But you want to make sure that you not get punked by a player or a coach. Don't let no man talk to you any kind of way. You're a man at the end of the day. And so uh, also growing up in the South, it was kind of different because the way that society was working, 
um, we really didn't have any interactions with white people. Um, and so it was a little it stigma to where, hey, they're on that side, we're on this side, and that was what it was. And so when you go into Kansas State University, man, I had three black coaches and the rest were white coaches, and everybody's talking to you the same. So where when you're down here in Dallas, you have you have my black coaches that's dogging us out, talking to us any kind of way, calling us out his name, and doing and we're working hard for it. But our white coaches, on the other hand, they're the soft coaches. They hey, don't worry about him. Hey, come on, like they're they're the good guys. But when you go down in when you go down to college in Kansas State, oh, it was the other way around. <laughs> my white coaches was calling me out my name, dogging me out, and I'm used to this, but. This a white man talking to me now. This not a black man talking to me now. So it's that social, that socialization that's coming on. That's saying, okay, is he talking to me like this because I'm black, or is he talking to me like this because I'm a, because it's a player? And I tell you, when I first went down to the Kansas State, my first day I had a fight, um, and Kansas State was was threatening to send me home um, because they said, hey, this is not working out. Um, go home for this semester because one of the things that we worked at with Kansas State University, they had me down for a gray shirt, but I had the opportunity to earn um, the come up on that scholarship if I was able to show my talent and show that I was capable of picking on. They'll bring me in that fall, right? But my attitude was all out of proportion. I was doing everything right in the weight room on the field, but my character, oh man, my coaches, I was going back and forth with coaches, arguing with coaches. And it wasn't from, I didn't see it as disrespectful because I'll give you a peace of mind, Chris, how I'm growing up. It, we'll be doing our drills. We'll be doing our work. And I'll be going against another component, another person. And my coaches are talking. Oh, man, Mike, you don't let him beat you out. You don't let him dog out. Mike, you tired. You trash. I can't believe you performing this way. And how I grew up is not. Oh, I ain't trash. I ain't, he can't do this. He can't beat me. He ain't about that. What you mean? I'm blowing him out the water. Who else you got up before me? Can't nobody see me out here. And this is how we grew up. Like, you got to own the room. And I don't care if you're a man, woman, child. If you line up if you line up on this line, you're going to get this work. I, no if and buts about it. But, man, when you're coming down, when you're going into a major university and you're carrying all that anger, rage, and you have that mentality – you have to be able to do that in a professional way. And I did not know how to do that. I didn't know how to separate field from the field play to off the field play, how to be able to switch it on and switch it off. And so Bill Snyder's son, Sean Snyder, came to me one day when I came back. We was going into spring ball. And I know this is a lot, <laughs> but I hope I'm, great. I'm giving you the insight, man. I, I went back down to Kansas State University after being home for that semester. And I tell you, Chris, doing that semester, man, that was, a, that was one of the hardest semesters that I ever faced. Just because when growing up in Dallas, man, you see so many players that get scholarship offers, they go off to college, and then they come home and they back home. And they're not going back to school. And you hear so many stories from guys in the barbershop Guys from your high school, man, I could have been this. I could have did that. Man, I was this. I was that. And I never wanted to be that guy. Everybody else, all my other homeboys out at school, they playing ball. Some of, some of them playing as a freshman, which I was supposed to be doing. So, so my focus was off. I was focused on everybody else's journey and not really understanding my own. And so from a mental standpoint, Man, that was hard for me because you have people that you've seen that knew you was doing great. Man, what you doing back home? Why are you not at school? Why are you not doing this? Oh, I'm great, say No, I'm this. Oh, I'm that. And they just think you failed. And so I came back home, and, and my mind said it was a failure. Man, to, I, I failed. I, I wasn't able to gain the scholarship. I had to come back home. Uh, I'm going back in the wintertime. And, you know, it's just a lot of mental things, and I had to stay focused. So And I had to make sure I was working out because at the end of the day, the number one goal was to make it to the NFL. And now I share this, Chris, because I never have before. But one of the one of the things that was that I battled through the most is being home with my dad and watching college football um, and knowing and seeing my teammates that I played with the following year, watching them play and just looking at them like, dang, like, I failed my father. Like, I'm at home right now and, and – 
even though we know I'm going back, I just felt like a failure. I felt like I didn't do, I, I felt like I wasn't a Texas top 100 player. Like felt like I was just a bum. <laughs> just to be completely honest. I mean, I had over 20 some scholarships and here you are sitting at home, see, focused on other people's journeys, not understanding what he had for me. So man, um, when I got back to Kansas State University, Sean Snyder came to me on our first practice and he said, Mike, I want you to practice this. Take the information that the person is saying. Don't look at his skin color, but just take the information that's saying and see how that works for you. And man, Chris, I tell you, when he told me that, it was like blinders lifted out, which, of course, it took a little while to practice that, to get over that, because, I mean, you're thinking, this 20 years, I mean, this 18 years of upbringing that I've been in this way. And so when I started looking at it from that standpoint, man, I didn't care, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, if you're talking to me and we're on this field and you're leading me and I know that you're not coming at me from a, a, a demising way, that you're not trying to beat me over my head, that you're not belittling me, but you're coming at me from a respectful way, um, I can really work with you. And when I when I tapped into that mindset, man, it, it opened up doors for me. It really did. Um, and so when I went, I played um, my freshman year, played my sophomore year. I got included in a lot of different packages, but I didn't have a starting role, which my mind was, hey, I'm a starter. We we playing, we playing, we playing college ball to make it to the NFL. And one of the things that my coaches told me when I was coming down into college, brought me into his room, Mike Smitty, I'll never forget it. Brought me into his room. We sat down. My mom and dad is behind me. And he said, Mike, I know you see this whole, I know you see the school. I know you see the athletes. I know you see everything. But I'm looking at you in your eyes. I'm looking at your mom and daddy in, in their eyes. And I'm letting you know you come to school to play football. You're going to get your degree and all that. But your goal is to make it to the NFL. We're going to help you do that. But you come to school to play football. Do everything you need to do to understand that. And that was my focus. I graduated within two years with my degree. And the reason why I was able to graduate within two years of my undergrad degree while playing college ball is because I – I, I took innocent. It was time to graduate because coming up my junior year, I didn't even know I was supposed to be graduating. I was sitting down with my academic advisor and was looking, and she was like, oh, you ready to apply for graduation? I'm like, I got two years left on the field. What you mean? She's like, no, Mike. Like, if you look at your record, you've been taking 12. Well, you first got down, you took a 15-hour caseload. Well, here you got a 21-hour caseload during the summertime. Well, you got a, you got a 12 or so. I'm taking 21 hours, 18 hours, 15 hours um, during the semester, not even knowing, Chris, that I'm taking all these classes. It's just, hey, I need an intercession class. And what they were doing back in the time, Chris, is that when we had intercession classes, I'll break down intercession classes for those that don't really understand. So intercession class is a class period to where you can take four, you can take a full caseload in four weeks. And those sessions are usually the right after you get out of the winter break. You have a four week class period that you can take classes. And then after the May break, um, you have your summer, your summer messes, what they call them. That's from May to June. That's a four week space. But I never could take intercession class between intercession classes. And I took those May mess to intercession classes. And the reason why I took those classes, Chris, they paid us $750 to take a class. And you mean to tell me you're going to give me $750 to take a class, a broke college student, because we didn't have the NIL. We didn't have the college. Um, One of the things that they incorporated my senior year was like a college living stipend. We didn't have none of that. So we got our pay grant, and you got $750 if you take this four-week class. Sign me up all day. I need that extra cheese. So that's how I was able to graduate within two years. But, man, the way that it all worked out is because my senior year in, in, in the classroom was my um, coming into my junior year on the field. And being that I gray-shirted, Chris, I still, had a, I still had a red shirt. So I still had three years of eligibility basically left um, on the field. With uh, And so coming into my junior year, I was getting ready to start. This is my time. I worked my butt off. Um, this is my time to shine. This is my this is my goal. But during that summertime, man, that was a hard summer, Chris. I had 
I've been falling out of workouts. I had full body cramps. And, you know, we're not understanding what's going on. Here my coach is thinking, oh, man, Mike is Hollywood now. He's out drinking and partying. He having full body cramps. He getting the, they getting the workout reports from my strength and conditioning coach saying I'm not finishing workouts. So they just thinking, man, this dude is just shitting, shitting on us. Like, he don't care. We're not going to play him. Not knowing that, okay, I'm the best player on the field. Um, I'm the best in my position. But I had, but I did fall out of workouts. So after that first game, Chris, I'm still battling for the Mike linebacker position. I'm starting in the Sam linebacker position, and I'm in the defensive end package on a, on a pass rush specialist. So I got a lot of jobs, but I, I want that main Mike linebacker job. And one of the things that my dad always taught me, my coaches always taught me, you are not going to get to the NFL if you're not on the field. And you're not going to get to the NFL if you're not that guy that's able to take over games. And so I knew I had to play. So we played against Stephen F. Austin that junior year. Um, had a great game. Did really well. But I was still battling for the Mike linebacker position. Um, that Sunday after the game, I urinated blood. Didn't know why. Urinated blood. And I didn't tell anybody, you know what I mean? Because, hey, I'm fighting for a starting position. I'm trying to make it to the league. I peed blood once. Okay, the next one, it was a little blood. It wasn't a lot. So I'm, I might be getting better. So not saying anything. Didn't say that to my trainers, man. We went, had practice. Um, and then that Tuesday, we had a really hard practice. And, uh, man, I finished the practice. But when I went home, my wife was pregnant. At, well, my girlfriend, she was my girlfriend at the time, but my wife, she was pregnant. And I, I was sitting over the stove cooking dinner because I cook dinner. I love cooking. Because I was cooking dinner for her, but I couldn't stand up. I had so much back pain that was going on and so much pain. And so I sat, pulled up a chair to the stove and I was staring and cooking. She was like, babe, it's something wrong. Like, I need you. Like, you need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, babe, nah. Um, my dad always told me, look, it's the difference between pain and injury. You can work through a little pain, but if you're injured, we definitely understand that. So I was like, look, I, I get up in the morning. I got workouts in the morning. I'll just go talk to my trainers. And thank God for my wife. She was like, no, if you don't want to go, I'm going to call somebody that's going to make you go. So she called <laughs> my mom and dad. <laughs> my wife calls my mom and dad and says, hey, hey, mom, Mike's not looking good. He's bending over. He got a lot of pain. He told me he urinated blood the other day. Look, why did I tell her that? But, okay, I did. So my mom and dad say, hey, call your trainer. Uh, we think you need to go. So I call my trainers. They're like, hey, yeah, Mike, why didn't you tell us? Don't wait. Just meet me down at the hospital, and we'll just see what's going on. Man, Chris, we get down to the hospital. I get checked in. They come in the room. Well, First, they get me in. We go through, and they start taking my vitals. Man, they come back in the room and start moving stuff around. I'm like, what's going on? They was like, Mr. Moore, your creatinine level is at a 3.5. Um, if your creatinine level leads to a level 5, your kidneys will explode, and you you in major trouble. So you're you're in a lot of um, – your body's shutting down right now. We got, we're trying to figure out why. You're going through – something's going on. And at this time, they didn't tell me I was going – my body was going through rhabdomyolysis. Um, they didn't know what was going on. Their number one focus was let's get his creatinine level down right so that he, his kidney functions can be taken care of. They just thought it was just my kidneys. I mean, my team, my coaches came and, you know, my mind said, hey, coach, uh, said, I don't know how this happened. I'm down, but sure. We got a bye week and then we got Auburn the next week. Auburn is a Thursday night game, coach. You need me, I'm there. I'm going to be at the hospital for this hour. Coach, like, cool. So that week goes by, my creatinine level's back to normal. But I'm still throwing up, not able to keep anything down. I'm still uh, I'm still blurry. My vision is blurry. I'm still lightheaded, not able to walk. So we get at the hospital, they release me, and they send me home. My coach is calling me, checking in on me. Uh, and I'm ready. I'm getting ready to go back, back to practice. Oh, uh, we're trying to go back to practice, trying to go back to meetings that upcoming week. Um, but it's not going well. And so my doctor ordered me to get blood drawn for um, for every day for a whole two weeks. So every day I had to go down to get blood drawn so they can look at my level. And that's they still was getting unclear results. So mom said, OK, order a CAT scan. Let's do a CAT scan, full body MRI. Let's see what's actually going on. 
And I'll never forget it, man. It was a Sunday. We had practice. Um, my team had practice and wanted me to come up so I can be a part of the film session. And my trainers had just got my results back. So they said, hey, Mike, we got your results back. Come see us. Um, and then you can go in and watch film. So it was the same day that my wife, um, we had my first son's baby shower. I'll never forget it. It's like yesterday. And so talk to my wife. Hey, babe, we're heading up to the facility. We're going to go get my results. And then me, my mom and my dad, we're coming down to Kansas City where my wife is from. And we're going we're gonna to do our baby shower. So my team is out on the field. Never forget, Chris. I get to the door. None of the doors open. So I'm like, all right. So somebody come up, let me in. I go into the training room with them. Seeing my my teammate, Coach Snodders, talking to the team. They're wrapping up practice, about to come in and shower. Um, Matt gets in. He's walking in. And uh, he has this look on his face, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, shit, they had a hard practice. Coach Snyder got on, but he, something happened during practice. And so, come in, he hugs me, hugs my mom, and he sits down, and he just sits there. They're like, okay, Mike, we got your results back, and um, you have a pituitary tumor. And I'm like, all right, what they mean? Like, when can I get back to Bob? He's like, no, um, I don't think you understand. Like, you have a brain tumor. Um, it's no playing ball. Like, you cannot play ball with a brain tumor. So we know you graduated. We know this is your last semester um, of schooling. So we're going to finish you out. We're going to allow you to finish out your, the rest of your scholarship. And you'll be a part of the team. But football is out of the question right now. And we don't know. We, we just got to, you know, see what's next. And so at that time, my whole world is crushed. Because my whole life I've been planning to make it to the NFL and my time. And at this point, you're telling me that's not an option. I never thought about doing anything else outside of football. And that was the first time I heard, Mike, it's time to start thinking about things outside of the game. And I never, uh, I didn't understand what that meant. And so, we, they sent me up with an endocrinologist down in Topeka, Kansas, Dr. Charcy Sender. I love her. Um, and I went down there, and we started to get on treatment, trying to see how can we remove this tumor. Football was out of the question. wasn't going to practice. wasn't going doing any of that because they needed me to get my body right. Um, but I was going to class. And so um, went down there, met Charcy Sender. Ms. Sender's looking at my charts, and she's like, um, quick question. Are you sure your son is yours? Um, are you, I can't believe you're able to do all this because right now your body is operating as a 77 year old man. Are you aware of that? Your testosterone, your testosterone levels at a 77 year old man. And for you to be able to do all this, you're not supposed to be able to produce kids. Are you sure your son is yours? He's going through all these different things, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know my son is mine. I got my son tested. You know, it's just a lot of different things. And um, she's like, okay, well, we're going to do this. We're going to put you on this medicine. I need you to take this medicine. When I tell you to take it, don't take it before. Don't take it after if you miss it because you have to be careful, Mike, when you take this medicine because we hope this medicine shrinks your tumor, but at the same time, this can harden your heart. And so you got to be very careful. And so that's crazy, right? They give me a medicine and shrink my tumor, but it can give me, it can harden my heart, which I can have a heart condition. So, Okay. I get back, get on the medicine, and this is supposed to shrink my tumor. We put out a timeline from September to March. During this time period, you can go back working out because this is going to shrink your tumor. And hopefully this can get you back to being able to play ball. So we get on the medicine. I'm back working out, Chris. Uh, I'm lifting weights. We get done with the season. We start. We come back to spring um, to winter conditioning and spring ball, um, and I'm working out. I'm bigger, faster, stronger. We – Excuse me, we're thinking my tomb has shrunk because I'm measuring off all the charts. I'm leading, I mean, I'm back, captain, I'm leading, and you know, they just blown away. So we get ready for going to spring ball. You know, we're about to start practicing, about to start hitting. My follow-up appointment comes up. Hey, let's get the CAT scan. All right, and do the iodine, do all that. Uh-oh, come back. Mike, your tumor hasn't shrunk, it's grown. So, what does that mean? Can I get back to playing ball? I feel great. Mike, no, you cannot play ball with a tumor in your brain. Let me send this out to my doctors, to my colleagues, and we got to figure out how we can get this removed because it's growing and it's not shrinking. And now 
this is uh it has started to press down on my optic nerve, which my my vision had became blurry, had to start wearing glasses and things of that nature. And they was really concerned. So she sent it out to her, her fellows. Eight out of nine doctors came back and said, hey, this guy never played football again. We're going to crack his skull open, pull his whole pituitary gland out, and he'll be on medicine for the rest of his life. There's no way that this guy could be able, with where his body is functioning right now, will be a D1 athlete perform, starting, performing, on top of that, being able to produce a kid. It's no way that this guy should be able to do that. He should not be playing football. Like, no, this is the course. It was one doctor that said he can do experimental surgery down at the National Institution of Health, but I had to get accepted into a hospital because it's a government-facilitated hospital. And I had to get accepted. So they were going to do the brain surgery there, but I had to get accepted by the endocrinologist for my kidney specialist. Crazy, right? They're going to operate on my head, but the kidney specialist had to be able to do it. So thankful to God. They looked at my case. They couldn't believe it. And I got accepted into the National Institution of Health down in Bethesda, Maryland. They flew me down there, did my surgery. Um, and what they did was, uh, at the time, it was experimental surgery. Um, now they, I, I heard they do it pretty common now. But um, they cut under my lip. They broke my nose. They moved it to the side. And they cut my brain to out piece by piece by going up through my nasal canal. Now, during this time, before the surgery happened, well, during the process of the surgery, they put a breathing tube into my, uh, into my mouth but it was the wrong size breathing tube. So they had to take it out and during that process of taking out the breathing tube, they cut my throat. So when after the surgery, I have blood that's coming out and having to suction, suction my mouth like every five minutes because it's filling up with blood. And I have like two long things coming out my nose that I can't breathe through my nose because it's broken. They're trying to keep the structure. I got an oxygen mask. And the only way I'm able to get oxygen is through my mouth. But I got a suction thing on this side because they got a suction of blood out. And so it's just so much. I got gauze coming out. It was just crazy. It was just crazy, man. And so they did the surgery. Um, I was in recovery for about, what, 72 hours, and then we flew back home to Dallas. Flew back home to Dallas. Uh, I was on bed rest for about six weeks. Couldn't pick up anything over 10 pounds. And then I went back to um, Bethesda to do my follow-up. All my test results came back clear. My vision had improved. My, my testosterone level had reverted back to a 13-year-old boy. And so uh, they was like, hey, don't be surprised if your wife is pregnant again when you come back. Well, when we came back, my wife was pregnant again. <laughs> so I'm shooting, like, my testosterone level is shooting off of the wreck, and I'm feeling great. But my body has to be built back up. So I went back to Manhattan, Kansas in June to start back, getting back ready to play ball. When I first got back to uh, Kansas State University, Chris, I couldn't walk 50 yards. I couldn't jog. I couldn't jog 20. Like, I almost passed out my first walk around the field. My first walk around the field, I almost passed out. And I was like, okay, we're going to have to do this baby steps. So we started walking. We started jogging. I started from just lifting the bar, Chris. And by, uh, we did that for two months. And coming back, leading to that August, I was back starting. I was back stronger, faster than what I was before. And I recovered and I was back playing um, that upcoming season. That um, that following surgery in April, went back to school in June. I was back playing that August. Came into September, had, got hit with another blow. My father passed away. He had a heart attack out of nowhere, and so now I'm faced with a with, with faced with a faced with a dilemma because I, I'm already graduated now. I can transfer, be a graduate transfer, and come back into SMU because SMU was a school that wanted me before I left. So I can transfer back to the SMU, be back home with my family, um, and run the family business and finish playing ball. Um, and at that time, man, I wasn't playing a lot at Kansas State University, not knowing at the time, like, you just came back from brain surgery. They don't know how you're going to perform. They want to ease you in it. But me, I'm like, man, I need to be playing right now. Like, I don't battle through. I'm ready to play. And so once I came back to Kansas State after bearing my father, um, man, we played against TCU. 
they said, Mike, you ain't going to play this game. We're going to suit you out. You're not going to play, but we're going to get you geared up for the next week. And, man, Chris, after that TCU game, we played Baylor. Um, no, we played Texas. And that's when I started playing a lot. Started playing in uh, Texas, Mike linebacker, and from there, it went on. And, man, from that game, um, and let me go back. Leading up before me going back, man, it was a big thing, a conversation that my wife and my mom had. We all sat down and we said, hey, do you want to play football? No, I don't. I want to be with my family. My wife was down in um, – my wife had moved back down to Dallas to help my mom run the business. I'm down in Manhattan, Kansas by myself. Um, no, I want to be with my family. I don't want to go back. Hold on now. We always taught you you never quit. So you started this thing. But you're going to finish this season. If you want to transfer after that, it's cool. But you're going to finish out this season, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do next. You never grow up to your mama. All right, mama. <laughs> so we go back down to man, Kansas, man, and that was the best decision ever. What I came back, we had um, within – we had, we had played four games. We had like seven games left. Man, within those seven games, I got uh, I was able to accrue 75 tackles within those 75 games. I was a defensive player in our bowl game, and I helped our team go to a bowl game, um, go to our bowl game that year by defeating West Virginia. I had 17 tackles that game um, with, like, three tackles for loss, two sacks. Like, it was just crazy. Um, but it never would have happened, Chris, if I would have gave up. Come back the next year. Yeah. Um, had a great season, and now we're getting ready for the draft. We're getting ready. Um, we put up good numbers. We're getting calls. We're starting out. We're going, right? And so during the time I'm getting ready for the draft, I go through a divorce. My divorce is finalized three days before the draft. Get into the draft. My name does not get called. So many teams told me I was in a draft board. So many teams told me I was going to get called, named up. Matter of fact, Chris, I got three calls on the day of draft day. Hey, we got you on the board. Hey, we got you on the board. We're going to get you. Never got a call. I got a call on draft day, finished the draft, by Seattle, then the Chargers call, and then Tampa Bay called. And my agent called me and said, hey, got these offers. I don't know why you didn't get drafted. But the good thing about this is, you get to choose where you want to go. So this is a piece that I want to share with the crowd and the individuals about if you are in this position to where you are trying to get drafted, I mean, how the draft works is when you get drafted between what, what the first round to the fourth round, those are the players that these teams are going to pick. I mean, they done spent the bread on them. They done spent money on these guys. So those guys from first round to fourth round, pretty much has a set job for the upcoming year. Now, the individuals that get drafted from the fifth to seventh round, those individuals are just, uh, you more so like a priority free agent. Like, hey, we spent this money on you, but we didn't really spend too much bread on you, so we can cut you. We can cut you if you're not up to par. But those individuals were one through four, you said. But the bad thing about that, Chris, is that I if I'm getting drafted that fifth through seventh round, I don't get to pick what team I go into. So with me being a priority free agent and me having teams that call me afterwards, now they gave me and my agent the time to look at rosters, make phone calls to my players that's already at these teams. Hey, what does this opportunity look like for me to secure a job? It's not about going to a team because I'm going to go to a team. No, it's about making the team and making a job because if I don't make the team, then I don't get paid. So I called Tyler Lockett down in Seattle. I talked to him. He said, hey, Mike, what's going on? I said, hey, I got Seattle. They want me. He said, man, Mike, I love to have you down here. But, bro, we just got – we just got – we just picked up four more veteran linebackers. Like, bro, our linebacker room is full. Like, even though I love for you to be down here, it's going to be hard for you to be at all these other individuals. Plus, they just got my guy Arthur Brown up there. They just um, – was graduated from Kansas State. So they were stacked at the linebacker position. Call down to Tampa Bay to my other guy. Hey, what this look like? I mean, this look good, but they just drafted dude from last year. He's supposed to be coming back. We don't know how that's going to look like. They We pretty stacked over here. So the Chargers was the group that said, hey, we only um, we really didn't bring nobody in. We 
Linebacker is what we need to build up. It's an important role. You can come in and you can win a job. That's all I need to hear. So what do we do? Sign the contract to the L.A. Chargers as a priority free agent. Now, what separated me from being a regular free agent is they gave me a $10,000 signing bonus. That is it. That is it. <laughs> so I still had to go down. They had to work and fight and claw for a job. And that was me really starting to understand a little bit about the business side. Not too much, but just a little bit about, okay, this is the business now. It's not so much about the talent and the caliber that you have. It's more so of uh, what the, the how the numbers are lining, what's going on in the back office from the GMs to things of that nature. And so, um, man, I went down in, to the Chargers, got down into San Diego, and I loved it. Uh, I don't know why. Well, I do know why San Diego left um, San Diego. The Chargers left San Diego and, and went to L.A. I wish they would have stayed because San Diego is beautiful. L.A., yeah. It's cool, but San Diego is, man, I tell you, it is beautiful. I wish and hope one day that the Spanos is taken back. But, uh, man, we went up there and had a great opportunity to start playing, got embedded, got embedded into the system. And Anthony Lynn, man, I love Coach Anthony Lynn. I love Coach Mike Smith. I love all of the my coaches that I had up there because they saw the talent. They reinvested in me as much as I was investing in them. And they taught us how to be able to handle this from a business standpoint way. And so uh, when I got up there to the charges, I had to have back surgery because I started going paralyzed in my left leg. And it's crazy, Chris, because I got I injured my hip flexor and overcompensating for my hip flexor made me blow my back out. And so <laughs> I tell people that. So, man, one of the things that we learned we're going in the training camp, going, getting ready for these teams. If you don't perform, you are not going to get that job. But you also have to be careful of how you do perform because when you put it on video, that is your resume. And that is not your resume just for the charges. No, when you are performing in practice, when you're performing in pre-games, when you, I mean, in, in the pre-game series, when you're practicing in the season, you're auditioning for all 32 teams. Just because you play for that one team, everybody else is watching that film. Everybody else is getting that pre-film so that they can evaluate and bring you in and bring you out. And so with us knowing that, I said, okay, I can't see that. I got to work. I got to play. It's the difference between pain and injury. And with me going paralyzed in my left leg, man, they was like, hey, um, we need to have surgery. So I got put on IR, but the difference on when I got put on IR from a lot of other players is they kept me down in, uh, in San Diego, in LA. Anthony Lennon said, Hey, you become a coach. You put headset on. I want you in the practices. I want you coming up here training. I need you investing into this, into the team because we are counting on you next year. So got an apartment. I stayed up there the whole time. And I was able to actually see how every Tuesday was our off day, but every Tuesday they have seven to eight and nine players coming in to work out for our jobs. Now, if somebody <laughs> goes down on offense and they're heavy on defense, that they'll cut the player that they'll cut the defensive player, which this happened to my 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 close friend. They we had an offensive guy that went down. They were he was the last man in our linebacker on our linebacker roster, and they needed that space. So they cut him. And when you get cut, you get placed on what uh, contract reserve to where any other any other 31 teams can come buy your contract within a 48-hour span. And so um, he was on IR where he got cut, sitting out there for his 48-hour span. An hour, Chris, an hour before he signed back with the Chargers, he's sitting in the office, his agent called him and said, hey, you cannot sign that contract. The Giants just picked up your contract. We're about to we're about to ship you out there. You're on the last flight today. Go pack up your stuff. Crazy. So he signed. Um, he got signed, and that's the thing that I didn't understand and know. Um, that this actually happens in the NFL. It's a set roster. Um, the head coach don't have the power. The GM has the power. He's the money man. He controls the players. Who stays, who goes. Yes, the head coach can give a suggestion. Yeah, I want this play. I want to keep that. But the GM has the most power. And so when we got done with the season, man, I'm I'm feeling better, but I'm not 100% better. But my thing is, man, 
I had adapted and embarked in my mind, Chris, at that time, I'm going to die on the field. At that time, I'm divorced from my wife. I'm still, and I'm suffering. Like, even though I'm in the NFL, I'm hurting. I'm suffering. I mean, when a counselor, what, four days out of the week, like, I am going through, and the outside, everything is looking great. But internally, man, I'm dying. And I embarked in my mind, and I'm saying, and um, I said, I'm going to die on this football field. This is where I would die, because this is where I'm connected with my father. And never had the opportunity, man. Never had the opportunity to die on the field. But I tell you, the reason why I believe that is because it has equipped me to what I'm doing now. It equipped me and showed me the purpose and why I'm called to do what I'm doing now. And that everything that I had to battle through and go through and fight through during that time, it equipped it for me to now and being able to share my story share the barriers and the overbreakings and the overcomings and letting individuals know that man whatever you put your mind to you can achieve uh you just got to have the faith patience and resources and know that it's going to take time it's going to take hard work but understand the system that you want to get embedded into so like football i didn't have a choice football was thrown on me and a couple of things i want to leave individuals with today um is that for one fathers I had a great father. My father was an amazing man. I love my father. I miss my father. My father lived his dream through me. And when I got done with football, I went into a deep depression. I went into suicide. I went through a lot of different things because I didn't know who Shamike Well was. I didn't know my purpose. I didn't know a direction, which way to go. Um, and where to be able to pick up, not from a standpoint going to get a job, like, okay, I can go get a job. But internally, I had pushed so much trauma, as I've told you a brief bit of what I went through in college and put so much stuff to the side. And I never faced it. I was using football as that outlet to be able to, man, take all this frustration, all this frustration and this pain out. And we punish whoever we come across but when football was now removed all this stuff came back at once all of it came back at once and i actually had to deal with it and face it and actually get to the root of what was causing me these pains what was causing me these mental blockages what was causing me a lot of agony um and when i was able to do that man i was able to see life clear i stopped hating people because i tell you man when i got cut i i start hating people i start hating life I started hating the system. I hated my coaches. I hated the system. I hated my wife. I hated so I hated so many people um, because I felt like they abandoned me. I felt like I was sold a dream. I felt like I was lied to my whole life, which in the end, no one lied to. I just wasn't giving the whole truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but um, I, I wouldn't change anything for the world. I tell you that. I love it. Um, I just truly believe on knowing the ins and outs before you jump into it. And if so many individuals, so many players understand that, man, yes, the NFL stands for not for long. And, man, I tell you, I heard that all my life. NFL stands for not for long. But I'll tell you, I heard this from two different people, man. I never – I heard that from players, but players didn't give us the equipment and the tools to be able to take that further because the only thing that we ever see are the Tom Brady's. The Ray Lewis's, the Ed Reed's, they spend five-plus years into the league, which the average player, only is average player lifespan is really only two years. Maybe three. But those are extra at least who to the Westbrooks, but they don't show those players. They only make it a year or two years. You reach their goal, but now that this goal is over with, now that this goal is done with, what do we do next? What was that next chapter in our life? And I heard this as a youngster. And I want to say the reason why I hated when people said, hey, what's your plan B? What's your plan B? Well, I don't have a plan because I'm not going to fail. Now, if they would have shaped it and asked me this question, what are you going to do after football? Because when you ask me, okay, what's your plan B if you ain't going to make it? Well, first of all, I'm not going to talk to you no more because you're telling me I'm not going to make it. Or you're putting that out there in the world, then that ain't no option for me. So I would give, I would like to give some advice, Chris, if I may. 
for those individuals Please. that are talking to the kids or the student athletes that have dreams of making it to the NFL or making it to the NBA or making it to these other uh, sports, extra careers, propose the question is, what are you going to do once you're done with this? Even when you make it to the professional round, because you're going to make it, but that's going to end one day and you have to be able to transition into something else. So what was your transition? My transition was to be able to uh, build a system to help other players transition. I went into the school system and I saw where we had an opportunity to use our influence to not only build up the school system, but build up the students and most importantly, build up the parents to be able to build up the students. Um, when I went into the school system, I seen where a lot of nonprofits and a lot of people only focused on building up the kids. And when you look at it from coming out of the pandemic, our kids are already behind and they're trying to take, trying to pick up from where their world had just stopped. Because if you look at it, I always break it down like this, Chris. Before the pandemic, our babies, our, and I call our kids our babies, our babies were eating at our fingertips. Whatever you told them the world the world was like, they listened to you. But when the pandemic hit, all that stopped and everything that you told these kids now was blown up in your face. These kids were able to see their role models and their adults hurting. They were able to see them in pain. They were able to see them trying to figure out ways to feed them. You know, the whole world will stop. And now that the world is coming back to normal, these kids are on a limbo. What's real? What's not real? And they don't have the mental capacity to be able to understand, hey, I need to be doing this right now and that nobody's coming to save me. My parents ain't coming to save me. I have to figure out what I want to be able to do because the truth or reality is, Chris, a lot of these parents, they still in limbo. They still don't know what they want to be able to do. And so when we went into the school, man, we would do a lot of work with these kids. But every time they go home, they come back. They, they go home into a natural reset and they come back broken. Or they come back worse than what, um, you know, in other areas that we had already covered. And so I said, OK, we need to work with the parents. And I'm a parent myself. And I understand how hard it is when you're trying to provide and you're trying to be able to um take care of your own personal, but also take care of kids, man, it's a lot. And you need help and you need a village. You need the support. And that was one of the things that the pandemic took away from us was that village support mentality. Everybody has now um, came into this idolization, me focus on me mindset. And that's what we started to build is being able to provide a job opportunities for so many individuals that have used and gained the trust of so many peers that view them, watch them on TV screen, um, watch them participate in sports, call us after we get done to come speak, motivate, do things. Now we have we created an avenue to where they can come in, provide for their families while still giving that influence to the community to the school so that we can not only change the schools, but change our community and change each household at the same time. So that's what transitioned me to do that now. That's what I do now. We live in, uh, we started our nonprofit, We Living, and back in 2021. Um, and then we have our pro living, our for-profit for business as well. So that's what we do. We living in pro living. We're living life daily, helping individuals live life and not just exist through life. Chris, because um, I when I retired, I was just existing. I was just taking every day. Uh, I didn't I didn't take control of the day. I let the, the, the day control me. I was living in my funk and I just let the days pass me by. But now in today's in today's day, I'm no longer carrying that failure mentality. I'm no longer um, looking at my situation and thinking I'm inadequate. Um, I'm looking at my situation. I'm empowering others with my story, but also understanding that it's a lot of work to be done and we have to choose to live life. We just can't just wake up and let life carry us out. So that's what I do, man. Right on. Oh, man, what a what a fantastic morning this has been just talking with you. These stories are. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I have learned so much more. Uh, and what a. What an adventure, what a journey that you have been on. So, and you're young, there, there's so much more coming. I'm so excited to see what happens with 
we living and pro living and yes, all sir. the other things you're going to do, the the work you're going to be doing with the Steinberg Sports Academy. There's yes, just, sir. Oh, uh, I know. I'll be having you back on the show again. I know that for sure because there's uh, there's a lot more to, to experience and learn from you. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. And I just want to tell the group, man, I, I enjoyed the camp that we had down in Arizona. The facility was beautiful. I'm looking forward to the academy coming and being a part of helping build those kids, build those families. And, man, Chris, you know, when you call, I'm answering. I don't care. You say kids a flight. We, we there. Where I need to go, what time, what place. Uh, I'm yours, man. So thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to everything that we're able to accomplish in the future. Thank you so much, sir. We'll talk to you soon. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Pivot Perspectives with your host, Chris O'Byrne. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advice on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we will see you on the next episode.